Welcome back to the MedBullet Step 2 and 3 podcast. On today's episode, we'll go over the topic of urinary tract infections from the renal section on MedBullets.com. Let's start this episode with a clinical snapshot. A 25-year-old G1P0 woman who is 14 weeks pregnant presents to her obstetrician for routine prenatal screening. She reports feeling well except for mild nausea. She denies any dysuria, urinary frequency, or abnormal bleeding from the vagina or seen in the urine. A clean-catch midstream urine sample is collected for urine culture. Urine culture reveals bacteria of greater than or equal to 10 to the 5th colony-forming units per milliliter. She started on oral nitroforantoin for 5 days. This patient was diagnosed with asymptomatic bacteria in pregnancy. Now, let's get into the episode. As far as the clinical definition, urinary tract infections, or UTIs, can be either asymptomatic or symptomatic and encompasses asymptomatic bacteria, or ASB, cystitis, prostatitis, and pyelonephritis. So with respect to asymptomatic bacteria, or ASB, there is bacteria in the urinary tract, however the patient has no symptoms. Typically, patients do not require treatment. Know that pregnant women require screening and treatment. This is because ASB in pregnancy is associated with preterm birth, perinatal death, and pyelonephritis in the mother. Know that it's important to distinguish between uncomplicated and complicated UTI. Uncomplicated UTI describes acute cystitis or pyelonephritis in outpatient women who are not pregnant and do not have anatomic abnormalities or instrumentation within the urinary tract. Complicated UTI describes UTI that is not uncomplicated. Moving on to epidemiology, as far as incidence, 50 to 80% of women acquire at least one UTI. 20 to 30% of women with one UTI have recurrent infections. In terms of demographics, UTIs are more common in women, the elderly, and infants. As far as location, UTIs can exist in the bladder, prostate, and kidneys. Risk factors include female gender due to the shorter female urethra, benign prostatic hyperplasia, frequent sexual intercourse, obstruction, for example constipation, history of UTI, incontinence, diabetes mellitus, vesico-ureteral reflux, spermicide use, indwelling catheters, however know that intermittent catheterization can prevent a UTI, and finally labial adhesions is another risk factor, and know that peak incidence is two years of age. The pathogenesis of labial adhesions is decreased estrogen and chronic irritation. This presents with dysuria, difficulty urinating, quote-unquote dribbling after urination, and vaginal pain and or a quote-unquote pulling sensation. Physical exam in these patients may reveal a labia minora fusion, the urethral meatus may be obstructed, and a vaginal opening may not be visible. Treatment for labial adhesions is topical estrogen. As far as pathogenesis, in most cases, bacteria ascends from the urethra to the bladder. This is otherwise known as cystitis. Bacterial organisms can further ascend through the ureter and infect the kidney, causing a renal parenchymal infection, otherwise known as pyelonephritis. Note that infection and symptom development depends on the host, for example, genetic background, behavioral factors, and underlying disease. It also depends on the pathogen, environmental factors, for example, vaginal microflora, medical devices, for example, an indwelling catheter, and urinary retention. As a quick example, voiding and the host's innate immune response eliminates bacterial colonization in the bladder after sexual intercourse. However, an indwelling catheter, stone, or any other foreign body provides a surface where bacteria can colonize. Finally, know that hematogenous spread to the urinary tract can also result in a UTI. However, this is rare. 
However, examples of organisms include Salmonella, Staphylococcus aureus, and Candida albicans. As far as the prognosis of urinary tract infections, asymptomatic bacteria or ASB in the elderly or catheterized patients does not increase the risk of death. Recurrent UTI in children and adults does not result in chronic polynephritis or renal failure. This is true when there are not anatomic abnormalities. Now let's go over the microbiology of urinary tract infections. We'll go over different microbes, findings, and important comments about each. So starting with E. coli, findings include a green metallic sheen on EMB agar. Note that this is the most common cause of UTI. Staphylococcus saprophyticus is the second most common cause in sexually active women. Klebsiella pneumoniae will have findings of a large mucoid capsule and viscous colonies. This is the third most common cause of UTI. Serratia marcescens will have the findings of red pigment production by select strains. Enterococcus is typically a nosocomial infection that is drug resistant. Proteus mirabilis will have findings of a quote swarming appearance on agar, it will be urease positive, and can result in struvite stone formation. Finally, Pseudomonas aeruginosa will have findings of blue-green pigment and is typically a nosocomial infection that is drug resistant. Now let's go over the presentation of urinary tract infections. As far as symptoms and physical exam findings, ASB refers to an asymptomatic patient with an incidental finding of bacteria on urine culture. Cystitis will manifest with dysuria, urinary frequency, urgency, nocturia, suprapubic discomfort, and gross hematuria. Prostatitis will manifest with dysuria, frequency, pain in the prostatic pelvic or perineal area, bladder outlet obstruction, as well as fever and chills. Moving on to pyelonephritis, these patients will have fever, which is the main feature that distinguishes pyelonephritis from cystitis. These patients may also have a costovertebral angle pain, which may be absent in mild pyelonephritis. Obstructive uropathy in patients with diabetes, which is secondary to acute papillary necrosis that results in the papillae to slough and subsequently obstruct the ureter. Finally, emphysematous pyelonephritis is seen in patients with diabetes, and in these cases, gas is produced in the renal and perinephric areas. Moving on to imaging, renal and bladder ultrasound can be done, and this is indicated in children less than 2 years old with the first febrile UTI, in children who are not appropriately responding to antimicrobial treatment of UTI, in children with recurrent UTIs, as well as in family history of renal or urologic disease. Know that unless there is severe illness or failure to respond to therapy, imaging should occur after resolution of the acute illness. Moving on to voiding cystourethrogram, this is indicated as the test of choice to determine the presence of a vesicourethral reflux. Avoiding cystourethrogram is also indicated for two or more febrile UTIs in children, anomalies seen on renal ultrasound, as well as in the setting of high fever with pathogens other than E. coli. As far as studies to obtain in the workup of UTIs, labs should include a urine dipstick, urinalysis, urine culture, and you should also assess for pregnancy. With respect to a urine dipstick, nitrite positivity suggests an E. coli infection or other infection of the Enterobacter family. Urine dipstick in the setting of a urinary tract infection will have leukocyte esterase positive and urease positivity in the setting of Staphylococcus saprophyticus, Proteus, which can manifest with cough and lid stones, and you will also have urease positivity in the setting of a Klebsiella infection. Urinalysis in the setting of urinary tract infection may reveal greater than 10 white blood cells per milliliter greater than 1,000 colony-forming units per milliliter, and white blood cell CAS, which is a diagnostic finding of an upper urinary tract infection, for example, in the setting of pyelonephritis. 
Urine culture is the gold standard for diagnosing UTI and must be sent in pregnant patients to determine sensitivity. As far as histology, findings of chronic pyelonephritis will be quote-unquote thyroidization of tubules due to eosinophilic casts contained in the tubules. The differential diagnosis of urinary tract infections include acute hemorrhagic cystitis, which can be caused by adenovirus, urethritis, nephrolithiasis, and genitourinary malignancy. Treatment of urinary tract infections can be medical or operative. Medical management includes TMP, SMX, nitrofurantoin, and phosphomycin, fluoroquinolones, fluconazole, amoxicillin clavulanate, or no treatment. So with respect to trimethoprim, sulfamethoxazole, or TMP-SMX, nitrofurantoin, and phosphomycin, this is indicated as first-line treatment for uncomplicated UTI. Second-line agents include a fluoroquinolone or a beta-lactam. Nitrofurantoin, ampicillin, and cephalosporins can be used in the treatment of UTI in pregnant women. Know that parenteral beta-lactams with or without aminoglycosides are used in pregnant women with polynephritis. Sulfonamide should not be used due to its potential teratogenic effects in the first trimester and carnicterous development near term. Fluoroquinolone should also be avoided in pregnancy due to its negative effect on the development of fetal cartilage. Trimethoprim sulfamethoxazole or TMP-SMX or fluoroquinolone is used in the treatment of prostatitis. TMP-SMX can also be used for uncomplicated or resolving pyelonephritis in a stable patient. Fluoroquinolones, for example ciprofloxacin, is indicated as a first-line treatment for acute uncomplicated pyelonephritis. Fluconazole is indicated as first-line treatment for Canada-related UTI. Finally, no treatment is indicated in asymptomatic bacteriuria in non-pregnant patients. Operative options include nephrectomy and percutaneous drainage. Nephrectomy is indicated for the treatment of xanthogranulomatous pyelonephritis. Percutaneous drainage is indicated for the treatment of emphysematous pyelonephritis and it may be followed by elective nephrectomy. Percutaneous drainage is also indicated in urosepsis with an obstructing kidney stone. Now, let's end this review session talking about complications of urinary tract infections. In the setting of uncomplicated UTI, complications are uncommon. Complicated UTI may have the complications of bacteremia, urosepsis, systemic inflammatory response syndrome or SIRS, renal and perinephric abscess, emphysematous pyelonephritis, and xanthogranulomatous pyelonephritis, which is associated with long-term urinary tract obstruction and infection. This results in chronic destruction of the renal parenchyma via a granulomatous process. Other complications of complicated UTI includes malacoplakia, which is a rare granulomatous disease of infectious etiology that involves the skin and other organs. And finally, another potential complication includes renal papillary necrosis. As far as complications of UTI in pregnancy, examples include pyelonephritis, sepsis, chorioamnionitis, preterm labor, low birth weight, as well as hypertension and preeclampsia. Finally, UTI in men can have complications of acute or chronic prostatitis, urethritis, acute epididymitis, and orchitis. Okay, so now that we've gone over the major points about this topic, let's go over a few questions to apply the information and get a sense of how this topic has been tested on past exams. First question. A 25-year-old woman presents to her primary care physician for pain with urination that began approximately three days ago. She reports urinating more frequently and denies any blood in her urine. She denies any fevers, chills, vaginal discharge, or abdominal and back pain. She also denies any recent antibiotic use or hospitalizations. She has no medical history and has been in a monogamous relationship for the past four years and uses a copper intrauterine device. 
Her temperature is 99 degrees Fahrenheit or 37.2 degrees Celsius. Blood pressure is 125 over 75 millimeters of mercury. Pulse is 72 per minute. And respirations are 16 per minute. On physical examination, there is mild tenderness to palpation in the suprapubic area, and there is no costovertebral angle tenderness. Which of the following is the most appropriate next step in management? And the choices are 1. Cystography. 2. Phosphomycin. 3. Levofloxacin. 4. Observation with follow-up in 2 weeks. And 5. Urinalysis with urine culture. The correct answer to this question is 2. Phosphomycin. So this patient's dysuria, increased urinary frequency, and mild suprapubic tenderness in the absence of fever, malaise, and costovertebral angle tenderness is concerning for an uncomplicated acute cystitis. Uncomplicated acute cystitis is empirically treated with antibiotics, for example phosphomycin, without needing further diagnostic evaluation. To quickly review, acute cystitis describes inflammation of the lower urinary tract and bladder and is caused by ascension of uropathogens via the urethra and into the bladder. Acute cystitis is said to be uncomplicated if the patient is immunocompetent, premenopausal, not pregnant, and there is no evidence that the infection has extended beyond the bladder, for example, flank pain or costovertebral angle tenderness, or having symptoms suggestive of systemic illness, for example, fever, rigors, significant fatigue, and sepsis. Women with acute uncomplicated cystitis present with dysuria, increased urinary frequency, urinary urgency, and suprapubic discomfort. The diagnosis is clinically made, and often further evaluation, for example, urinalysis with urine culture and cystography, is not necessary. Most women with symptoms highly suggestive of acute uncomplicated UTI are empirically treated with first-line antibiotics such as nitrofurantoin, trimethoprim sulfamethoxazole, or TMPSMX, or phosphomycin. If symptoms resolve with antibiotic treatment, follow-up urine studies are not necessary. To quickly go over the incorrect answers, answer 1. Cystography is a radiographic study that injects contrast into the bladder in order to visualize the bladder. It is not used in acute uncomplicated cystitis because it is a clinical diagnosis. Cystography would be indicated in certain situations such as for dysfunctional voiding, bladder trauma, and unexplained hematuria. Answer 3. Levofloxacin is a fluoroquinolone antibiotic that can be used in acute uncomplicated cystitis as a second-line agent in patients who cannot tolerate first-line treatment or beta-lactam antibiotics. It could be a preferred first-line agent for polynephritis if the patient is well and able to be discharged home as it is an oral antibiotic. Answer 4. Observation with follow-up in two weeks is not appropriate since the infection can continue to ascend up the urinary tract placing the patient at risk of developing polynephritis and urosepsis. Finally, answer 5, urinalysis with urine culture would be useful in patients with a history of multidrug-resistant urinary infections, recent hospitalizations within the last three months, recent travel to areas with high rates of multidrug-resistant organisms, and recent use of fluoroquinolones, trimethoprim sulfamethoxazole, or broad-spectrum antibiotics. To leave you with a bullet summary, patients with acute uncomplicated cystitis are managed with empiric antibiotic treatment like nitrofurantoin, trimethoprim sulfamethoxazole, or phosphomycin without further evaluation. And moving on to the final question. A two-year-old girl is brought in by her father for urogenital pain. The father states that the patient complains of pain with urination which has gotten worse over the past four months. He also reports that her diapers are constantly damp with urine. The patient is an otherwise healthy child. She can say sentences with two to four words, can name some animals, and has started to climb up and down the stairs. 
The patient's father states that she has a history of infantile eczema. She uses topical hydrocortisone ointment as needed. On examination, the labia minora are fused, the urethromiatus is partially obstructed, and the vaginal opening is not visible. Which of the following is the most likely cause of the patient's symptoms? And the choices are 1. Agenesis, 2. Autoimmunity, 3. Chronic infection, 4. Decreased estrogen, and 5. Sexual abuse. correct answer to this question is for decreased estrogen. So this two-year-old patient is presenting with dysuria, constantly damp diapers, and fusion of the labia minora. This presentation is suspicious for labial adhesions, which are most commonly caused by decreased estrogen. To quickly review, labial adhesions are characterized by partial or complete fusion of the labia minora. Their peak incidence is at two years of age. They are thought to be due to decreased estrogen in conjunction with chronic irritation. Girls may complain of vaginal pain, a, quote, pulling sensation, difficulty with urination, or, quote, dribbling after urination. They can cause recurrent urinary tract infections, recurrent vaginal infections, or urinary retention if the urethra is completely obstructed. On exam, the labia minora may be partially or completely fused, and the urethromiatus and vaginal opening may not be visible. If the patient is symptomatic or the urethra is covered, topical estrogen cream can be used to help resolve and prevent adhesions. To quickly go over the incorrect answers, answer 1, agenesis is a failure of an organ to develop, such as vaginal atresia. Vaginal atresia is also known as Müllerian agenesis and usually affects the upper third of the vagina. Patients usually do not present until the time of menses and will complain of cyclic abdominal pain due to trapped blood flow slash outlet obstruction. Other anomalies may coexist, like uterine or kidney abnormalities. Answer 2, autoimmunity, is thought to be part of the etiology underlying lichen sclerosis. Lichen sclerosis presents in prepubertal girls with anogenital itching, soreness, constipation, and dysuria. Patients will have atrophic, cigarette paper-like white plaques surrounding the vulva and anus, often in an hourglass shape. If left untreated, patients can develop adhesion of the labia minora to adjacent mucosa. Answer 4, chronic infection is a more common cause of labial adhesions if the labial adhesions occur after puberty. The more common cause in a 2-year-old who has no history of chronic urinary tract infections or vaginal infections is decreased estrogen and irritation. Finally, answer 5, sexual abuse could be a rare cause of labial adhesions. While physical signs of sexual abuse can be nonspecific, other signs that would raise suspicion include scarring, psychological distress, or language-slash-cognitive delays. Labial adhesions in this patient's age group are more commonly caused by irritation and decreased estrogen. To leave you with a bullet summary, labial adhesions are caused by irritation and decreased estrogen. That's all for this review about urinary tract infections. Hopefully that was helpful. This is the MedBullet Step 2 and 3 podcast, a daily audio review session by MedBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for medical student education. Keep in mind that these podcasts are designed to go along with the topics on MedBullets.com, and in fact, you can listen to these episodes right on the MedBullets website or mobile app while going through the topic. If you've gotten any value from the MedBullets Step 2 and 3 podcasts so far, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Also, if you aren't already, be sure to follow MedBullets on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for daily high-yield content. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you all tomorrow right here on the MedBullet Step 2 and 3 podcast.